1: deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight
0: one three eight one one. 381 381 from time to time, I go out there and I buy all the newspapers I can get my hands on. Because it's not the same as looking on the web that is the internet. And what I can tell you has been going on day in and day out is not only the trashing of the president, but the trashing of conservatives. The trashing of the Fox News Network by CNN, but also by newspapers. The Washington Post, the New York Times, it's It's relentless the trashing of conservative talk radio, the trashing of somebody like me, the trashing of Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz. What do they know about the coronavirus? The trashing of my friend, Charlie Kirk, over at Talking Point USA. It is appalling. And what they're really trying to do is to damage the reputations and the brands of these different entities and platforms and individuals. They're trying to destroy them. They're trying to soften it up for the general election. And the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and most of the others were horrifically wrong about what was going on in China, whether it's the labs. Horrifically wrong about their support for Anthony Fauci. And I'm going to say this flat out and bluntly. I think Anthony Fauci has deserved the president and the vice president, and I would add Dr. Birx too. And I don't say this is somebody who's seeking to be provocative or anything of the sort. I've been watching this. I interviewed Dr. Fauci. But as I continue to study this and continue to look back and look at what's going on today, how wrong they were. They keep saying the president should follow the science. These are the scientists he's following. These are the scientists the vice president of the task force have been following. But Dr. Fauci has built up a very strong connection with the Washington, D.C. media because he's been in Washington, D.C., in the bureaucracy for half a century. And he's been the director of the infectious disease unit there for 36 years. Dr. Birx has also been in the government very, very long time. I'm not saying everything they've said is wrong. I mean, everything anybody says is unlikely all wrong. But we have this piece by a typical Washington uh, Post clown, Margaret Sullivan. Right now, we need science, not silence. Well, I want you to hear Dr. Fauci. They love him in the media because they, he gives them the answers that they want, even when it comes to destroying civil liberties. And our economy. He's not an economist. And he's not a civil libertarian. He's a doctor. He's a director. And here's George Stephanopoulos. Cut 20, go. And finally, sir, we're seeing these protests crop up all across the country right now, including the protests in Texas and other places where they're saying fire Anthony Fauci. Fauci uh, is wrong. They're resisting these stay-at-home orders from governors. What's your message back? to So those let, let's stop right here. The contempt for these protesters. Here's what I know. Dr. Fauci has a job and George Stephanopoulos has a job. Dr. Fauci has a beautiful pension awaiting his retirement into government 50 years and George Stephanopoulos is earning tens of millions of dollars. Neither of them are in jeopardy of losing anything. Those protesters, many of them, are in jeopardy of losing everything. Everything. And they shouldn't be treated like trash and they shouldn't be talked down to. And God knows how many health ailments they have and how many medical bills they have to pay. In addition to making sure food is put on the table every day and a roof over the head and their vehicles work and on and on and on. These are real families. Protesters. They never talked about Antifa this way or Black Lives Matter this way, and or any of Barack Obama's friends, you know, from the terrorist domestic underground in this country. But Americans, like the Tea Party movement, just trash the hell out of regular, hardworking Americans who make this country work. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the, you know, the message is that clearly this is something that is hurting from the standpoint of economics, from the standpoint of things that have nothing to do with the virus. But unless we get the virus under control, the real recovery economically is not going to happen. Now, let's stop right here. This, this, is, this is fortune cookie joke pablum, unless we get the virus under control. Well, unless we get the virus under control, you see, ladies and gentlemen, the economy has to suffer. People have to suffer. Is that the choice? Is that true? Why isn't he challenged by George Stephanopoulos? There's a hell of a lot of scholars, experts, brilliant men and women who say you can do both. But from the beginning, Fauci never believed you can do both. First, he downplayed the virus. He's the doctor. We all listen to him. Everybody took his lead, including the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, NBC, AP, Reuters. They all took Fauci's lead, and they were all wrong. And then they genuflect. When Fauci says there could be hundreds of thousands of fatalities, then they regurgitate what Fauci says. No serious investigation in any of this. They complain to Trump there aren't enough tests. Well, the CDC, early on, didn't have enough competent testing going on. Trump didn't create the CDC. That's the scientists. Follow the science, they say. Follow the science. Well, whose decision was it at the CDC? We don't know. you got to attack Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Charlie Kirk, the president, Fox News, me. Go ahead. So what you do if you jump the gun and go into a situation where you have a big spike, you're going to set yourself back. So as painful as it is to go by the
1: careful guidelines of gradually phasing into a reopening, it's going to backfire.
0: Nobody That's- disagrees with gradually phasing in a reopening. As a matter of fact, it was the president who first said that four, five, six weeks ago. And Fauci disagreed. And Burks disagreed. It was the president who said, and honestly, others, scholars, two of whom were on my show on Fox, that are not interviewed by George Stephanopoulos. Because, you see, Dr. Fauci is treated as a demigod. Dr. David Katz? No. Dr. John Ioannidis? No. Well, let's hear briefly. Dr. Katz, what does he say about this? Cut 16, go. We want to gather information. We have better information, surely, than we did a month ago. What do we do now? We we have an economy that's in deep trouble. A lot of people are saying, including me, it's time to reopen it. We can do it in a responsible and thoughtful way. What do you say?
2: Yeah, I I don't disagree. And if there's a difference between us, markets, a difference of a few days. When I say we need data, we don't need to do millions of tests. We need to do what's called representative random sampling. A small population representative of a state or the U.S., That's the fork of 72 hours, and I don't think anybody's going to argue this far into the crisis that that three days are going to be what makes the difference for the economy, for unemployment, for people's health. I think hearing, hey, this is what we're doing for the next three days, gathering these data, and then we're going to pivot to vertical interdiction. We're going to phase people back to life, back to the world as we knew it based on risk. Now, we could do that already. We already know that older people are at greater risk. People with heart disease and diabetes are at greater risk. We could already say there are, there are low-risk populations that could start to go back to the world. The more data we have on risk specific to America, so we're not borrowing data from Iceland or Germany or South Korea, we say here in the U.S., these are the risk differentials we're seeing, we could, that, that's, that's the work of a few days. The, the Centers for Disease Control does these representative random samples all the time. So get those data, commit to those several days, and then use those data to inform policy and say, now we reliably know who's at lower risk here and who can go back to the world. And then we go back in phases. this. And, and one of the things we haven't talked about, Mark, and it's really important, is we've got to go back to the world if we want the world back before there's a vaccine, which is 18 months away or two years away, we don't know. You know, it's just a hope that we could have a vaccine in 18 months. It could be much longer. The only other way to get back to the world as we knew it is to develop herd immunity.
0: Now, stop here. Here's the problem. Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks have not created herd immunity. And so they've sort of, they're sort of boxed in and they've sort of boxed in some with the president who's trying to break out of this box his great credit, and that is, as he'll explain what herd immunity is, and you've heard it before, but you've heard it because he wrote about it six weeks ago in the New York Times, the more people infected with this virus who are not part of these uh, at-risk populations, the elderly and, and people with comorbidities, the better, the better, because you create antibodies, you create immunity, and so those people can't spread anything. And there's a certain significant percentage of the population. If that occurs, if that occurs, then they can interact uh, interact with uh, older people and people with comorbidities. Uh, in the vast majority of cases, without a death occurring as an example or some horrific event. But because of the Fauci plan and because of the Burks plan, we don't have that. Which is why we might have a second slam. I want you to listen carefully to this brilliant professor, epidemiologist, among other things. Cut 17. Go ahead. Exactly what is herd immunity. It's in your article from five weeks ago, too. And why is that very, very important for society? What is that all about?
2: Well, you know, one of the things we're hearing about in the news now, Mark, is Singapore did so well, but now they're starting to have a a resurgence in cases or South Korea the same. Yeah, that's what will happen. If you lock everybody away from everybody else, kind of wait until things get better and then let everybody out into the world, the virus is still out there. We don't have antibodies. We'll just get it later. I mean, if if all you do is flatten the curve, you don't prevent deaths or severe cases. You just change the dates. Stop.
0: Did you hear that? And I fear that's what Fauci, at least in part, has done, and Burks. That's very, very important, what he just said, and Fauci all but admits it. You're changing the dates, you're pushing it off, because you haven't had this herd immunity. We've talked about this for weeks, but it's important you heard from the man who wrote about it first, five or six weeks ago. You've now pushed off this immunity, this widespread, broad immunity, where people build antibodies, you've pushed it off to a later date. So you've changed dates. And so when Fauci says, look, we don't want to open the economy, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have this big burst of the virus again, because he, in part, his formulation has helped to create that potential situation. Go ahead.
2: Do that. So how do you prevent that? You really only have two options. One is a vaccine. Well, scientists are doing the best they can, but it's many months away. And the other is herd immunity. Herd immunity is when people who are prone to the milder versions of this infection get it, get over it, make antibodies, and are immune. So let's say I do that. And let's say you don't. Well, I represent a roadblock on your behalf when it comes to coronavirus. Because if I have antibodies, I can't get it. I can't give it to you. And so it doesn't matter whether you're vulnerable, you and I shake hands, you don't get it from me. When enough of us have made antibodies at the population level, there are enough dead ends that the virus just can't get through the population. It finds it harder to get to a host where it can survive and it dies out, that's herd immunity. The the numbers of us that need to have antibodies vary with the properties of a given contagion. And we're learning what the properties of this particular contagion are that also needs to come from data but it looks to me like that is the best way to get to a place where grandparents can once again hug their grandchildren and you know i I have 80 year old parents my mother doesn't want to get coronavirus and die she also doesn't want to die of something else before ever again being able to hug her grandchildren because she's still waiting for a vaccine herd immunity gives us a much more proximal way to get back to life in the world as we knew it.
0: So you see, I'm live here, ladies and gentlemen, and alive. Um, The Fauci-Burks plan does not allow for herd immunity. If there is some level of herd immunity, it's almost by accident. It's in spite of this policy. And I can understand early on when they didn't have enough data. Everybody, shelter at home. But they've had enough data now for about three, four, almost five weeks. These scholars saw it, another scholar you'll hear from after the break. And I had encouraged the administration several weeks ago on my social sites to add Dr. Katz and, as you'll hear soon, Dr. Ioannidis to this task force to balance out Fauci, and Burks, who get no critical examination of any significant kind from the media. For instance, this Washington Post piece attacking Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz by Paul Farhi and Elaine Izadi. Why haven't they talked to Dr. Katz or Dr. Ioannidis or a host of other doctors who are highly qualified in viruses, in epidemiology, in statistics? Why not talk to them? Well, they don't want to. That's why. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature, right in your own home, on demand and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to com. L-E-V-I-N for So what is the reason the media do not give Dr. Katz the attention they give some of these other doctors? He's highly qualified. He's president of the True Health Initiative, founding director of the Yale Griffin Prevention Research Center. He's a specialist in preventative medicine and public health. He is a world-renowned epidemiologist. He has written in many, many publications, including the New York Times. And he wrote his piece on March 20th, six weeks ago. How come he didn't get the attention? How come George Stephanopoulos doesn't interview him or Wolf Blitzer or others? Or if they do, it's a hit and miss. In other words, it's, it's so fast you can't catch it. Right, is he crazy too? When I return, a gentleman I found at a very obscure site called statnews.com that other hosts now on cable and radio have uh, awakened to, That's John Ioannidis. By the way, both these doctors said the fatality rates were never going to be as high as, as Fauci said. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com.
1: Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811.
0: By the way, I want to congratulate Buck Sexton. Is that how you pronounce his name? He's here and there. He's on, I believe, W-O-R, opposite me. And he's getting crushed. No offense, nothing personal. But I understand uh, he found the MIT, the MIT uh, study uh, that I found from um, a friend who was uh, connected to the effort uh, which we discussed at some length on Friday and I posted on my social site so I want to congratulate him on Saturday I understand he he posted it too wow what a sharp guy it's not hard to go on my sites a lot of people do and see uh, see what's there I try to put good information on there and Also, my very uh, terse comments, depending on who it is. But that's exactly the sort of thing I, I try to explain, that if you're interested in getting into this business and succeeding in this business, there are ways to do things, and there are ways to do things. Now, John Ioannidis, we talked about him a long time ago, and his piece that he wrote on March 7th. Excuse me, March 17th. It's a long time ago. Professor of Medicine and Professor of Epidemiology and Population Health, as well as Professor of Biomedical Data Science at Stanford University School of Medicine, uh, of Statistics at Stanford University School of Humanities and Sciences, co-director of the Meta Research Innovation Center at Stanford Metrics at Stanford University. Now, you would think that this gentleman had the cred to be contacted by Good Morning America, by the Today Show, I don't know what the hell the CBS show is called. Does it matter? By CNN and MSLSD and all the rest. But no, he's not. This guy's a brainiac. Katz is too. In this area, this guy is, is, is second to none. Second to none. And yet, he's absolutely ignored by the Fauci media. I want you to hear this. Again, it's, it's quite short, but it's important. From Life, Liberty, and Levin last night, Dr. John Ioannidis of Stanford. Cut 18, go.
3: The best data that we have now suggests that it's not one out of 30 or one out of 100 people who get infected who will die. It's probably in the range of one in 1,000.
0: All right, stop there. So one in 1,000, by my calculation, is one-tenth of one percent. I have been saying for over a month, six, seven weeks, that the rate of fatality put out by Dr. Fauci and Burks, and the information they were presenting publicly didn't make any sense to me. It's not because of my philosophy. It has nothing to do with political ideology. I walk through this with you folks day in and day out. I don't need these left-wing goons who pretend to be reporters To say I'm protecting this one or protecting that one. I'm not protecting anybody politically. I'm looking at these numbers. They don't make sense. But apparently, for the media, whatever Dr. Fauci says and whatever Dr. Burke says makes a lot of sense, particularly if it means fundamentally transforming America. And I'm going to get to that next hour because that's what they're rooting for. And they've been rooting for it. That's why they're trashing Trump, who is following the science, following his scientists problem is the science hasn't been settled until pretty much now. Go ahead.
3: And we also know that there are some types of people who are at much higher risk than others. Most of the population has minimal risk. It's in in the range of uh, dying while you're driving from home to work and back.
0: Now stop. If you have a top scholar and expert who is saying on a national television program, that dying from this virus for the non-at-risk populations is in the range of dying while you're driving from home to work and back, isn't that important to know? Isn't this why people are protesting? Isn't this why people are furious? but losing their jobs and their businesses? Isn't this important? Of course it is. But the New York Times, which tried to censor the Holocaust, is trying to censor this. The New York Times, which was a mouthpiece for Stalin through Walter Durandi, has its mouthpieces for these people, Maggie Haberman, among others. They don't want to know the facts. These are not, these reporters are not science reporters, they're not health reporters, they're political reporters who are spewing politics. That's why they're attacking Dr. Oz. That's why they're attacking Dr. Phil. That's why they're attacking Fox, me, conservative talk radio. Anyone who disagrees with them? They disagree with themselves from two months ago. They disagree with Fauci and Burks from two months ago. Why don't they pay attention, try and follow the data, listen to other scientists, scholars, and experts, and try and actually figure out what's going on and inform the American people rather than their disgusting pablum.
3: Go ahead. However, very elderly individuals, people who have severe underlying diseases, in the hospital in particular, or in nursing homes, there there are settings and people who are at very high risk, and these settings and these people we need to protect fiercely and do the best and save lives. However, the original expectation that we'd, we'd be seeing tens of millions of dying
0: individuals, that's not happening. Now, I'm not a mathematician i'm a constitutional lawyer and there's a big gap between the two Um, you say one in a thousand you're saying well under one percent is that one tenth of one percent of the of the the population that actually has the virus uh, will pass away as a result of the virus or in connection to the virus
3: so this is also an open question because uh, uh, for the data that we have a little bit more mature and detailed information like italy that has already gone through the peak of uh, their uh, epidemic wave, we realize that 99% of people who die with uh, this virus have other reasons as well to die. Uh, On average, they have close to three other reasons to die. Uh, On average, uh, they are 80 years old with other comorbidities, as we say. And uh, there's quite some debate on whether... So let's
0: stop there. Did you hear what he said? He's looked at the data in Italy. That's what this guy does. That's what his team does at Stanford. And the overwhelming majority of people who have passed away in Italy have passed away because they have underlying illnesses. Three, in, in typical cases, three underlying illnesses. Go ahead.
3: People well, we would have died anyhow, uh, if not immediately, you know, perhaps in a few days or a few weeks or, or a few months. In our country, we see a fairly similar picture. We see that uh, people who are disadvantaged, poor people uh, uh, creating even further inequality in the population through COVID-19 seem to be uh, very hardly hit. We see that the uh, age at death on average is a little bit lower compared to European countries uh, in the range of uh, 73 or 74 years old. And we see again, lots of comorbidities uh, in people who die with COVID-19. It's very hard to say how many of these people would have died anyhow and how much is the direct contribution of the virus.
0: So why do ProPublica and National Pubic Radio and Vanity Affair and the Huffington Compost, the Washington Compost, the New York Slimes, CBS, NBC, ABC, MSLSD, the Constipated News at Oregon, on and on. Why do they resist this? Why do they resist this information? Why do they pretend these men don't uh, don't exist? Cut 19, go. Elective surgery, I've never understood completely what that phrase means. Uh, Sometimes if you don't have quote-unquote elective surgery the outcome can be disastrous for the individual. So elective surgery, we've said, we're not going to have elective surgeries. So maybe somebody needs some kind of heart procedure or somebody needs some other critical procedure and they're not getting it. Do we have any data yet on the the health fallout from the almost myopic focus on this virus, but the panoply of other very serious maladies and diseases? Now let's stop here. You'll notice Dr. Fauci never discusses this. He doesn't have any data. He doesn't have any models. Dr. Burks never discusses this. No data, no models, nothing. Nothing, not a word. And that is medical, right? And the same can be said about the economy and the health consequences. Because I want to read you a text I received from a top surgeon, a cancer surgeon, an oncologist. I'm not going to give out his name, because he didn't give me permission to, and he didn't even know I was going to read it. Because when we talk about small businesses closing down, we're talking about doctor's offices. Community hospitals, then regional hospitals, then hospitals associated with large hospital companies. Go ahead. I've really, in many ways, gone second-tier
3: I think that we start seeing some evidence that indeed uh, this can become a disaster. Uh, If you have people who have a heart attack or who have a stroke, they need to go to the hospital to get care. And if they're afraid and they do not show up, uh, then we will have far more deaths uh, compared to what uh, coronavirus uh, uh, might be doing at the moment. Uh, Also, many of the procedures uh, that uh, are essential for uh, handling medical conditions uh, of different kinds uh, have been postponed, uh, kind of uh, set with uh, an open horizon. And uh, we know that for many of them, the timing on when you have the procedure and when you have the medical care could be influential in having the best possible outcome. I think that we should encourage people to take care for medical conditions that are not related to COVID-19 and that we should refocus our health system in trying to take care of these people because they are the majority of the health risks and the health burden at the same time we should give a strong message to individuals who have symptoms that are suggestive of covid 19 not to go to the hospital unless they're very sick the one situation where covid 19 does create disasters is when you have people who flock to the hospitals massively with minor symptoms that would not have the need to have hospital care, then you have the hospital environment being infected, you have physicians and nurses being infected, they infect other people, and then you have what we call a nosocomial infection, an infection that is spreading within the hospital and is killing vulnerable people who are at the hospital. You know, patients, not patients with COVID-19 necessarily, but others who did not have COVID-19, and then they get infected. This we need to avoid, But at the same time, we need to make sure that we offer the best care to Americans and to citizens uh, all over the world uh, who currently do not get the best medical care because of the fear and panic of COVID-19.
0: These two experts are not alone. They're not outliers. Quite the opposite. This notion of herd immunity, focusing uh, medical and financial resources on the most vulnerable populations and areas of the country, getting decent data, operating off the decent data, not throwing numbers out there left and right, about 1.5 to 2.2 million possible deaths, and then 100,000 to 240,000, then 80,000, now 60,000. That just tells you these these so-called scientists who are advising the president and us don't have their hands on these so-called models and the so-called data. Well, again these men that I've played uh, t- introduced you to, David Katz and John Ioannidis, these are well-known scholars. And there are others. They're not saying, let it rip. Did you hear any of them say, let it rip? They said, take care of the populations that are vulnerable. But you must allow society to, to, to function. And you can have certain rules in place, but ladies and gentlemen, you and I, we're the people of this country. We have the final say. When you're in Michigan and your idiot governor says you can't buy seeds in order to grow vegetables in your backyard, or you can't buy paint to paint your house, or you're the idiot governor of Maryland, Hogan, who's going to fine you $5,000 if you don't wear a mask in a grocery store, he's not basing that on real science. Well, he's letting criminals out the back door, I might add. Or you hear these Democrats, mostly Democrat governors, and these weak-kneed Republicans, a handful of them, what do we have governors for? What do we have state budgets for? They know how to get testing done. They don't even have to do the testing. They, they just have to acquire it. The testing, the ventilators, the hospital beds, none of them are ready. They all demand that the federal government provide it. They all demand that you and I pay for it, that we pay for their small businesses, that we pay for their unemployed, that we do this, that. The hell's the point of Larry Hogan or the idiot in Michigan? Or the idiot in Albany, and on and on and on. What's the point? And then when you say, well, the president's going to open the economy. Federalism. They don't believe in federalism. They believe in opportunism. I'll be right back. Mark If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for hillsdale.com. I'm also... You know what amazes me? A lot of crap amazes me, unfortunately. The stupidity that exists all around us. But here you have this guy, Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland. You have this clown, Northam, the governor of Virginia, and others, saying, We don't have enough testing kits. Have any of them consulted either of these two doctors? Ionetias or cats? No, they haven't. Because they'd learned something. You know what they'd learn? This phrase... Representative Population Sample Testing. So you take a subset of a larger population, and these guys are experts at this. And you look at the various elements and properties, that is what you're trying to to determine. Trying to get an answer, it's a method of sampling, it's a scientific method of sampling. It's done all the time. You don't need to test everybody in Maryland. You don't need to test everyone in Virginia. You don't need to test everyone in New York. Representative Population Sample Testing. And if you heard, if you recall, one of the clips with Dr. David Katz, he said, you know, we can accomplish this in about three days. They're doing it. Stanford's doing it. In Santa Clara, California, and other places. And they're coming up with very important answers. So why don't these governors embrace this? They have top quality universities in every state. You've got the University of Maryland. You've got Johns Hopkins in Maryland. You've got UVA, Virginia Tech, uh, William & Mary. You've got top quality colleges and universities in the state of Virginia. Same with New York, of course. Same with California. Why aren't they doing it? Representative, population, sample testing. Nobody goes out and samples an entire country of 320 million people. We're never going to have enough tests for that. Certainly not in the short run. So they keep barking up the tree, again, like with ventilators and beds. We don't have enough tests. We don't have enough tests. We don't have enough tests. We don't have enough left. Same, same one, same chicken littles when it comes to equipment and testing. It's unbelievable. You don't need a test for every person in your state. All right, I've got a lot more, folks. This is the point of the spear. We know the other hosts are listening and going on my social sites. You don't need to bother with them. I'll be right back.
4: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.
1: He's here. He's here.
0: I wasted money on a Washington compost today. We don't even have a bird, so I can't put it at the bottom of a birdcage. I don't know, maybe if we run out of toilet paper, Mr. Producer. Uh, You read this newspaper, you're ready to go on the roof of your house and jump off without wings. And you'll hate Trump, because this is a propaganda sheet. I'll give you an example. On page A3. Ten years... No, that's not even the one I want. I mean, there's so many articles in trashing the president. How about this one? Let's see here. I'm trying to find the one I wanted to... Oh! Excuse me. This is a Wall Street Journal news section. Virus testing hampered by disarray, shortages, and backlogs. State officials and labs say competition, confusion, prolonged crisis. Ladies and gentlemen... In a period of six to eight weeks, we are in a third iteration of virus testing that has gone from not a Q tip but a long, you know, a long Q tip type device, where you have to get all the way back into your nasal passage, which is extraordinarily uncomfortable, and then you have to wait a day, sometimes two days for the results, to one that Abbott has developed. It basically is a Q-tip. You don't have to shove it to the back of your nose, up the navel cavity. And you can have an answer anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes. And now there's one being developed in the next week or two, which we'll have, which uses saliva. And as the president says, that'll revolutionize all this testing. So in 6 to 8 weeks, you've moved from sort of an arcane testing to a less arcane testing, to what will be absolutely cutting-edge testing. These things don't just happen. They have to be developed. They need research. They need scientists. They need labs. they got to try them out. Now, this is because the president has been pressing this and also because the private sector is trying to fill a need. So when you get a headline from Christopher Weaver and Rebecca Bauhaus Virus testing hampered by disarray, shortages, backlogs, state officials and labs say competition, confusion, prolonged crisis. What competition? For the Abbott product or so forth? You're never going to have enough of these devices to test everybody in a state or everybody in the country. That's not going to happen, not in the short or mid-run. And you don't even need it. The ignorance of these governors and the ignorance of these reporters... It's incredible. I told you about representative population sample testing. It's done all the time. You can't test everyone in New York City or the metropolitan area, everyone in Los Angeles or the metropolitan area, everybody in the state of California, the state of – it's not possible. And even if you had the testing kits, you don't have enough labs that can do it that fast. So I feel like we're doing the ventilator thing all over again. Doesn't it sound that way to you, Mr. Producer? You don't need to test everybody. Representative, population, sample testing. Go ahead and Google it. And there's better methods for that and not so great methods for that. But this is what Dr. Ioannidis and Dr. Katz and so many experts in this field keep talking about. And really, for the state of Maryland, as an example, it should take a matter of three or four days. Once they figure out the, the, the representative population they want to sample, and what do you do? You sample different populations in different areas of the state. What does he want the federal government to do, this guy Hogan? I don't know what the hell he wants. The hell does he want? It's easier for them to build roads, to redistribute wealth. That we know. Now the hard work comes. Hey, I can't do it. I need, well, the federal government, the president, the president, let me go to the Washington Post. Let me go to the New York Times. Hey, let me do, what the hell is this? It's incredible. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm educated in the law. I'm not educated in any of this. All you have to do is read it, self-educate, examine it, bring in the doctors, talk to the doctors. This is what we do here. They're telling you what needs to be done. So this Wall Street Journal piece, front page, below the fold, right side. Virus testing hampered by disarray, shortages backlog, state officials and labs say competition, confusion among crisis. This is what you get. We heard the same thing on the ventilators. The same thing on the masks. It's the same thing. They keep repeating themselves. You're never going to have enough. So you don't need as many. You don't need as many if you do this properly. Here's another one. Same newspaper, Wall Street Journal. The the, the coronavirus pandemic. A whole page. Actually, two pages. Two full pages, just so you don't miss it. Headline. U.S. turns to unproven vendors for masks. What does that mean, an unproven vendor for a mask? It's not, may I say, brain surgery, rocket scientists to make a mask, to make underwear, to make socks, or whatever it is. While major firms land biggest deals, others charge more and struggle to deliver. Okay, it's called a pandemic. They're trying to actually make hundreds of millions of masks. Let's look at the next headline, same page. Scientists unsure how long virus immunity lasts. Isn't that kind of obvious? How would they know? Until we go through this for a while. Next one, same page. Anti-malaria drug draws new analysis but doesn't fully protect. Neither does the flu vaccine fully protect. In some people it makes them sick. So on one page, U.S. turns to unproven vendors for masks. Scientists unsure how long virus immunity lasts. Anti-malaria drug draws new analysis but doesn't fully protect. You know what this is like reading, Mr. Producer? The, drug, the dr- uh, Drudge Report. Day in and day out. Left wing pablum. One link to another. Cherry pick. Just trashing, trashing, trashing the president. Scaring the hell out of the people. My buddy's getting a lot of hits over there. But then we turn to the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal where we get at least some sanity. Sending hospitals into bankruptcy. The lockdowns are doing great unintended harm to medical providers. Now, you've heard me talk about this at great length. Then civil liberties. You don't find much of this on the Drudge Report. You certainly don't find it at Mediate, Media Matters. certainly don't find it in the Compost, the Constipated News Network and all the others. They're not worried about civil liberties. In fact, they ask, all of they're asking, what do you think of these protesters, Governor? What do you think of these pro- It should be, what about the First Amendment? Protesting, civil protesting, is as old as the country itself. There's another headline in the editorial page, Wall Street Journal, The Coronavirus Cops. Again, they're pointing out the violation of civil liberties. A couple more good pieces on the opinion page. The Democrats' 2020 coronavirus hindsight. A review of this year's debate shows they were less concerned than Trump about the pandemic. Now, the media know this. In fact, Trump was more concerned about the pandemic than the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, CBS, ABC, and the rest of them combined. Combined. They were more interested in John Bolton. Another headline on the opinion page of the Wall Street Journal. And by the way, that's the only reason anyone buys this, to look at the stock prices, the bond markets, and the opinion page. Steve Forbes and Art Laffer, two great men, suspend the payroll tax. They're saying stop spending like drunken Marxists. Suspend the payroll tax. Unfortunately, there's drunken Marxists in both parties now. And the president's under attack. More in the Washington Post. Here we are, politics and the nation. Ten years of BP oil spill, Trump has diluted safety rules. Trump, Trump, Trump. Here we are, the, the, the Washington Post editorial page. Where's your check? Ask GOP lawmakers. Years of defunding have made it harder for the IRS to function when the U.S. needs it most. The poor IRS, the left-wing kooks who write without identification for the Washington Post editorial page. These are dumb people. Where's your check? Ask GOP lawmakers who've been defunding the IRS. So it's the Republicans' fault, not Not Pelosi for holding things up. And of course, Trump, on top of everything, let us not forget, he believes in pollution. This is what you get in the pages of the Washington Compost. And then we have in the Washington Compost, E.J. Dionne Jr. He used to be a reporter. He's He's a slob regardless. Trump's war on pragmatism. See, Trump's not a pragmatist like the Washington Post writers. They're all pragmatists. They're not left-wing goons. No, no, no. They're pragmatists. Fred Hyatt has had a lot of influence over this paper over the years. Helped drive it into the sewer. The president is sinking to China's level. Th- this is the propaganda in and around Washington, D.C. So Trump's on pragmatism. The president is sinking to China's level. I'm surprised they didn't cite Thomas Friedman or... And Mike Bloomberg, who loved the communist regime in China, or at least did. And then there's one, only one, news and opinion page, rational piece, in the whole newspaper. By Robert J. Samuelson, who's been writing a long time. He's not left wing, he's not right wing, he is what he is. And I want to talk to you about what he's written. When we return, I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? i probably have to play a little bit of music tonight just to calm me and us down a little bit. So this Robert Samelson piece in the Washington Compost. Who will do the necessary spending? Where's the demand to come from? Listen, this is important. We talked about this last month. It's fine to talk about opening the economy, but if we can't answer this question, and for now we can't, that is who will do the spending, then the outlook is bleak. It implies a weak recovery or worse, a depression-like stagnation with massive joblessness. Who will do the spending needed to pull the economy from the gutter? Consumers aren't a good bet. High unemployment has spread fear and anxiety among the newly jobless, 22 million over the past month, and among those whose neighbors, parents, children, and co-workers have been fired. They're likely to be stressed emotionally and restrained in their spending. Now, I want you to keep something in the back of your mind as I read this. This is why you open the damn economy. And stop spending all this money. What about business? The country could use an investment boom, but this too seems a long shot. For starters, all those frightened workers are also cautious customers. They don't represent the strong demand that would cause firms to undertake major expansions. There's another problem. Spending by firms in risky sectors. Think shale, oil, or airlines has contributed to the economy's overall weakness. We don't need more of these capital goods. Maybe we need less. Unsurprisingly, Boeing has just announced the cancellation of orders for 150 of its troubled 737 MAX aircraft. But it has also announced it's gone back to business. Twice a year, the International Monetary Fund publishes major studies of the global economy. The latest makes for somber reading. Okay. It's very likely that this year the global economy will experience its worst recession since the Great Depression. Surprising, that scene scene during the global financial crisis a decade ago, writes uh, somebody whose name I can't pronounce, the chief economist at the IMF. This is why these damn governors who won't open their states where they can are helping to destroy this country. And I can't put it more bluntly than that. The second message... Despite the severity of the downturn, the IMS projected recovery for 2021 is fairly optimistic. Could this be? He says, extra health spending related to the pandemic offsets some loss in consumer buying. The stock market has recovered some. Of course, and if Biden's elected, God forbid, he'll benefit from an increase in the economy thanks to Trump, despite his Democrat governors and Democrat-like governors like Hogan. Finally, there's all that government money starting with the $2.2 CARES Act, it pledges 1200 for most poor and middle-class Americans, loans to small businesses that can be converted into grants, and more loans and grants for larger firms. In addition, the Federal Reserve says it's going to inject 2.3 trillion into financial markets to prevent a collapse of credit. Surely all this money must answer the initial question, whose spending will revive the economy? The answer, the government's? Maybe not. What's overlooked is that much of the money pledged by the Fed in Congress does not stimulate the economy so much as it prevents further weakening. Simplified, here's what happens. When investors get frightened, they may sell high-risk securities and buy low-risk securities like treasury bills, so that money is not in the private sector. If too much of this occurs, the credit available to the private sector may shrink, hurting economic growth. To summarize, a good deal of the so-called stimulus doesn't really stimulate. Instead, it stabilizes. All right. I said, let's not call this a stimulus bill. It is a relief bill. And this was brought to uh, my attention by my doggie's veterinarian, Chris. And he got a small business loan because his bank had relations with the SBA. A lot of banks don't, and a lot of small businesses are getting screwed out there. But that said, this was never a stimulus bill. It was a relief bill. It was an attempt to hold people in a status quo position. But you can't. You're never going to have enough money to do that. You've got to produce wealth. You don't print wealth. You have to produce wealth. Paper doesn't create wealth. It creates the illusion of wealth. The only thing missing from Robert J. Samuelson's piece in the Washington Post is what, ladies and gentlemen? Doctors Fauci and Burks. Because the rest of the paper says, follow Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks. Follow the science. What I've been pointing out, and what other doctors have been pointing out, other than Fauci and Birx, is that if the economy craters, so does everything else. The hospitals, the profession, medical profession, all of it. All these governors are running around begging for money. They beg for money while they say, are we going to have humans here? Are we going to protect humans? Are we going to open the economy to make a buck? And then they say, we need money, morons. But then again, they're liberals. It's a serious and important question. Who will do the spending? This is what I said when that bill was up for debate. You can have all the liquidity you want, but where's it going to go? The products aren't being produced. The services aren't available. You can't keep pushing money printing money, pushing it into the economy like this without creating terrible inflation, hyperinflation, maybe at some point deflation, which will destroy all of you. And everything you have in your safes and everything you have in the bank. It will destroy your pension. And that medical plan you have will be useless. That's what hyperinflation and ultimately deflation does. So when Dr. Fauci gets up there and wants to talk about health, Dr. Burks, too, they really don't know enough to talk about health in the broadest pro- uh, uh, sense. So the answer, Mr. Samuelson, who will do the necessary spending, is nobody until we open the economy and open the economy. I'll be right back.
1: Americas Paul Revere. Call Calling now eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Now we turn to the pages
0: of the real Times, the Washington Times, and we take a look at their national page headline: "Virus more widespread than previously thought." Again, the lib media slow to report. The facts about the data. Why? Because if the virus is more widespread than previously thought, and not previously thought, here again we were following the real science. That means the, the fatality rate. In terms of, the overall population, and in comparison to other, horrific illnesses, is small. It's definitely under 1%. I think I said this a month ago. I don't know. It's been so long. We now have over 41,000 poor souls who've died from the coronavirus as reported to the government. It might be a smaller percentage than that or a number than that, uh, given the form that they put out on March 24th that I talked about and every major newspaper ignored. The coronavirus is the Fallback code that goes into the reports to the federal government by doctors and hospitals on fatalities. And Dr. Burke said as much uh, a week or 10 days ago. And the fatality number, it's been pretty obvious now for some time, was not going to be anywhere close to what Dr. Fauci and Burke's were suggesting early on with their bad information while they were looking at China and other countries rather than at the numbers in our country. But now the numbers are without question. Stanford study finds many carry antibiotics. This is Dr. Ioannidis' group. A groundbreaking study by Stanford researchers indicates that far more Americans have been infected with the novel coronavirus and now carry the protective antibiotics a sign of possible immunity. This is why this doctor is ignored. This is why his team is ignored. That is great news. And I would tell Governor Hogan and Governor uh, uh, Klansman here in uh, Virginia and Slow Cuomo up there in New York, I would tell all three of them and the, other, uh, and the others, this is as a result of selected testing. of scientifically determined testing. And this is good news. And there's another report out today that has found the same thing. So it is good that more and more people had this and didn't know it or had minor effects and now have the antibodies, that is the immunity. This is a very, very good thing. Next item At the Washington Times, protesters put pressure on governors to reopen. Now, these protesters are under attack by the Sunday shows, by media personalities, all of whom have jobs, all of whom make an incredible amount of money. And then they ask the governors, who are using an iron fist against their own citizens, what they think about their tactics and the protests against them. It's the damnedest thing. It's incredible. And then we have a piece, all but ignored, in Kansas, Topeka, Kansas. A federal judge a blocked Kansas from limiting it. There's another dummy crowd who runs that state. From limiting attendance at in-person religious worship services or activities to 10 people or fewer to check the spread of the coronavirus, signaling he believes that it's likely that the policy violates religious freedom and freedom of rights. Speech rights. The ruling from U.S. District Judge John Brumas in Wichita prevents the enforcement of an order issued by Governor Laura Kelly, Democrat, if pastors and congregations observe social distancing. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, mega churches, small churches, they understand social distancing. They understand six feet apart. They can determine if they want to wear masks or not. They can have plenty of hand sanitizer. You don't need secular judges, excuse me, secular governors, political hacks, stepping in between and saying, you shall not have a church service. Same with small businesses. I don't understand. I want to tell you again about my buddies in Florida. And we love these people. And boy, do they know how to cook. My buddies, Rob and Anita. And their restaurant's been closed for like a month. I've kind of hinted about this. They have a tiki bar on the outside and then an inside quarters. I know people write me, you know the name of it, it's called Flash Beach. And so they were just trying to figure out what to do. And when they started out in the restaurant business, they didn't have a restaurant. They had a food truck, beautiful food truck, fairly large one. So what they decided to do is park the food truck in their parking lot. Limit the menu to like uh, crab cakes and hot dogs and hamburgers and a handful of other things. They have their liquor license. Sell soda or lemonade, bottled water, certain liquor, beer. Spread tables 10 feet apart. Not many of them. And also allow people to, you know, purchase things and leave. Which is most of the business. And people are flocking. Flocking to them. People want to get out. They want to do this. It's not a matter of being impatient, as the idiot Nancy Pelosi said, with her eyes bugging out of her head from from Napa. And... They know how to handle this in a way in which there's not a lot of social contact, but they can keep their business open. They don't have to go bankrupt, even though it's tough, even though they're not going to make what they used to make. These are Americans. They're quintessential Americans. This is what they want to do. They don't want a handout. And they're not alone. This is going on all over the country, and people want to do this all over the country. So when you have governors like the idiot in, in Indiana, excuse me, in... uh. Michigan and others who make it nearly impossible to even do what's being done in Florida. It's appalling. Florida should be used as an example of what you can do correctly. But the media keep focusing on the worst cases, the most incompetent governors, the governors with the, the brass knuckles. They keep showing us this clown Hogan in Maryland, this clown Cuomo in New York. Every time he opens his big mouth, uh, the, the, the media cover it. The moron with the uh, little dabble doom out there in California and in Michigan. Why? Because these are four states that have the most horrendous anti-civil liberties records when it comes to the treatment of their citizens. Now, Governor Hogan can focus on the most vulnerable populations and most vulnerable areas of of his state, but it's too complicated for him, too hard to do. Cuomo could have done that a long time ago. Big swaths of New York are unaffected by this, by this virus. Not the city, the state. I believe he's governor of the state, not the city. Same with Illinois, with Pritzker there. Stupid little fat slob, may I say with all due respect. And then little dabble do him out there. Mr. Uh, what is it? Whatever. Studio 54. Gavin Newsom shuts down the whole damn state. That's a very diverse state with small, diverse businesses. It's a lot of little businesses, large ones too, but a lot of little businesses that can cope with a rational mitigation strategy and still sell stuff or provide services. I mean, for instance, there's some company out there making the grease that Newsom puts in his hair. I don't know which one it is, but obviously they're essential for him. You know, we all shop online, but did you know you can make online shopping even better? And you can save a hell of a lot of money. And you can with Honey. Honey is the free online shopping tool that automatically finds the best promo codes and applies them to your cart. Just download Honey to your computer and shop on all your favorite websites as you normally would. Wait a few seconds for Honey to scan its database of all the working coupons on the web, then watch your price plummet. I mean, I'm giving it a lot of ideas. So we have great sponsors on how to save some money. Honey works on nearly every online store, including Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Macy's, Etsy, and a lot more. And not using Honey, you're literally passing up free money. It's 100% free to use. It's 100% free to you. And it installs in just a few seconds. Plus, it's backed by PayPal, so you know it's secure and reliable. Get Honey now. How do you do it? And get it free. Join honey.com slash Levin, honey.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's honey.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. By the way, in the next hour, we're going to have Charlie Kirk on because he's being smeared by the New York Slimes. Now, right on the front page, Turning Point USA. Now, Turning Point has been a sponsor from time to time on this program. That's not why I'm having him on. That's beside the point. Just like the New York Slimes has all kinds of sponsors and advertisers in here, and I can look for conflicts of interest. and I'm not into that. But we're going we're gonna to let Charlie have a say, because they all but suggest that he and his group is anti-Semitic. I'm Jewish. My wife is Jewish. Charlie's a dear friend. Nothing could be further from the truth. They talk about him putting words in Trump's mouth. Nobody puts words in Trump's mouth. So you can see the reprobates who write this thing. Matthew Rosenberg and Katie Rogers. Two buffoons. Like Maggie Haberman and Jeremy Peters. And what else is out there? I don't even know. Where's Philly uh, Bump these days at the Washington Compost, Mr. Producer? What happened to Philly Bump? We miss Philly Bump. That's Philip Bump. I saw Peter Baker today. Petey. Another ignoramus. Anyway. A provocateur who put the words China virus in Trump's mouth. No, he didn't. But that's your New York Slimes. That is on the front page of the New York Slimes. On the front page of the New York Slimes. Isn't that kind of shocking? Then they have another thing on the front page. Flaws hindering antibody testing. Article is by Steve Etter, Megan Choi, and Approva Mandeville. Where do they get these? What, what kind of... I, I don't even know. Anyway, if that is their names. Isn't it amazing? There you have three quasi or proclaimed reporters. Not proclaimed by the profession, self-proclaimed. Not one of them could contact any serious doctor. This Stanford group that's doing this testing on antibodies? And there's another group today that's doing it? What kind of article is this on the front page? It's a lousy article. It's an attack Trump piece. Look at this. We can't get the antibody testing. Everything's so confusing. You know, we can't get the test for the virus. We can't get the anti. And, of course, Trump's as bad as China over there in the Washington compost. And, uh... Trump's done a pragmatist. And Trump, Trump, Trump. I believe it's called the coronavirus. Isn't it, Mr. Producer? And then you turn to the inner pages of the New York Slimes. Oh, this is fun. Opinion second uh, section. Headline. A decade after Deepwater Horizon, rolling back regulations ignores the lessons from the country's largest oil spill. This is all about Obama, really. Then we have Charles M. Blow. Really, his name ought to be blowhard. This guy's a puke. Stop airing Trump's briefing, says in a typically totalitarian way. Allowing disinformation to appear as news. Really? I think that's what we define as the New York slime. Then we have this Bernie Sanders center page on the op-ed section. Our broken system laid bare. How a pandemic forces us to rethink our values. Yes, of course. The CDC didn't have the tests. So we must centralize our government. The blue state governors are incompetent boobs, so we must centralize our government. And then we can have Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumann, maybe even Joe Biden run the country. Now that would be a step up, wouldn't it, ladies and gentlemen? A combined IQ of negative 14. And then we have Barry Burke. Special counsel to the House Judiciary Committee during the impeachment of President Trump. Trump has learned nothing. Thanks to his acquittal, he thinks he can get away with anything. So this is why so many of your friends, neighbors, and people on TV are as sickeningly ignorant and stupid as they are. This is their paper of record, followed up by the Washington Post. Can you imagine reading this in the Washington Post every day? Of course you're going to hate Trump. You're going to hate your country. You're going to hate your fellow man. You're going to hate capitalism and the Constitution. Oh, yeah. You're going to hate, hate, hate. I'll be right back. Much
1: Lovin.
0: You know, it's a different world right now. But we don't need to be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and to protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, and to stay focused. We have to work to move forward, to overcome unprecedented challenges, and to support each other. We also have to work to inspire, to innovate, and to build new solutions. But for all this work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, they're on a mission to contact employers, and every day they work with their people. But today is different. They're partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make certain they're finding the right people for the right jobs right now, especially now. So if you're one of these companies, or if you're looking to hire down the road, ZipRecruiter is here for you, and they're the best, and they're ready to help you. They want to work together with you. ZipRecruiter.com slash worktogether. ZipRecruiter.com slash worktogether. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash together. Here's a headline that I want to talk to you about next hour. We'll start in now. Government is everywhere now. Where does it go next? So we have a piece in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend by Chris DeMuth, who used to head the American Enterprise Institute and now is with the Hudson Institute. Brilliant man who has pointed out that this president, despite being pushed hard by the media and the Democrats, has worked tirelessly to be faithful to the Constitution, the limits on the federal government of the presidency, and federalism. And then you have a piece here in the Washington Post that says, government is everywhere now, where does it go next? Basically a very, very long piece, because liberals just don't know how to do things concisely. I mean, liberals create more carbon dioxide. You know what? They actually create carbon monoxide, come to think of it. Anyway, it's a long piece by long-in-the-tooth Washington Compost reporter, Dan Balls. That's B-A-L-Z, by the way. And uh, he's right in many respects. But then again, so is Chris DeMuth. The role of government has changed overnight in ways no one imagined. As this election year began, he writes, Balls does. Despite a broad consensus behind his emergency surge in government spending and power, a huge debate over what government does and should lies ahead. And that battle will be waged on terms that could be far different from those that existed before the pandemic. Terms that have held sway since Ronald Reagan arrived in Washington four decades ago, determined to put advocates of a vigorous government on the defensive for the first time since the New Deal. Now, understanding history, in modern history... We've had cycles like this. We had the turn of the last century with Theodore Roosevelt, followed by Woodrow Wilson, where you saw dramatic growth in the central government. Of course, you had the New Deal, where you saw a dramatic growth in the central government. Several decades later, you had the Great Society, where you saw a dramatic growth in the federal government. And then with Obama. So the question is, and we're going to answer it, what are we doing here? Are we respecting federalism and the limits of the Constitution, or are we playing democratic socialism? I'll be right back.
4: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.
0: Are we undergirding federalism or are we embracing democratic socialism? Well, it's both, isn't it? The President of the United States has stood pretty firm up against a torrent of criticism and vicious attacks for not nationalizing every issue related to this pandemic. For not rolling over More than 200 years of history. Limited central government. Even Joe Biden, through his dentures, was trying to put together complete sentences while he was referencing the New Deal, the New Deal, the New Deal. Because FDR was the closest thing to a dictator this nation's ever had. And I don't want to hear about Lincoln. FDR. The Democrats like dictatorship in the advancement of centralized government. How can you not? So the President of the United States has deferred to governors, deferred to states, has been in close contact with them, his Vice President's been in close contact with them, his administration has. What do they need? How can we help you? The federal government has a supporting role, help you fill gaps, help you get ventilators, and on and on and on. And we talked about this at great length. We have for two months. The man they accused of being a dictator is no such thing. He's adhered to the Constitution. And he's always adhered to the Constitution. And he's always adhered to the rule of law. I've said this over and over again. And he did it here. He did it here. I think the President understands intuitively... He's lived his life. He understands. Individualism, freedom, private property rights, free speech, free exercise of religion. These are to be respected and revered. The governors, on the other hand, individualism, freedom, private property rights, free speech, free exercise of religion. Whether that governor is in Michigan or elsewhere, North Carolina. No such respect. Now, what about this democratic socialism stuff? We've had big pushes now to destroy our voting system, to install minimum income, to nationalize our industries, coming from Pelosi and Schumer and their ilk. It's very, very frightening. The Democrat Party, for the most part, has been a party of great evil in this country. I mean, when you talk about the Civil War, the Civil War was really a fight between the Union and the Democrat Party, when you think about it. And the proposals and the comments that come from the Democrats now are not aimed at the virus. They're aimed, as always, at fundamentally changing this constitutional republic into something else. Don't look back, Obama says. Look forward. Look to the future. But the democratic socialism part, and I can drop the democratic part, is on spending. And in this, I am frightened deeply and gravely concerned. The reason I said drop the democrat part of socialism is not only because they're oxymoronic to begin with, but because the way Congress passes these bills and will pass this next bill has nothing to do with democracy or republicanism. They cut corners with their parliamentary procedures so members of Congress don't actually have to show up and vote. And so Mitch McConnell can get a spending bill through worth hundreds of billions of dollars without objection from Schumer, the Democrats. And Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi will have votes which bypass several hundred years of tradition in the House of Representatives. If that weren't bad enough, the bills themselves are unthinkably massive. At least they were up to a month ago. And they will not be paid back. That is, the debt that's created now will never be paid back because we don't pay for the debt that was created in the 1940s and 50s or the 1960s or whatever. doesn't matter what interest rates on the debt They're printing money. And to explain how bad this is, they're printing money because the federal government is lending money to itself. It's lending money to itself. And the money's already gone. And so they're not even calling this stimulus three or four. They're calling it stimulus three and a half. Because there's a multi-trillion dollar bill behind that one where these state governors, particularly the blue state governors, are demanding that you and I subsidize their state budgets. This will be the greatest departure from federalism. The greatest departure from rational financial management. More than in modern American history, in American history. And both parties are poised to do it. As I explained a couple of weeks ago, what Mnuchin and the Fed have done is they have essentially nationalized our private capital markets. Ask the mortgage companies what they think about that and the banks and so forth. The banks are not even independent enterprises anymore. They're appendages of the government, local, state, and federal So I don't know how you can say with massive debt, massive spending, the empowerment of the federal bureaucracy and central government through fiscal and monetary policy that we're not embracing a bizarre form of socialism but nonetheless government-style socialism. And yet on the other hand, the president deserves absolute credit He needs to be celebrated for refusing to do what the Democrats and the media have demanded and still demand, that he nationalize various industries, that he nationalize all decision making, and that he do things which are obviously contrary to the Constitution. You can call anything an emergency and do whatever you want, I guess. In other words, these Democrat blue state governors and Hogan and a couple of the other reprobates they want Trump to do to the nation what they've done to their state. You have these potentates now. I don't even know where they get their authority from. Just because they're governors doesn't mean they can ride roughshod over your, your civil liberties and your federal constitutional rights, let alone your state constitutional rights. And that's exactly what they want Trump to do, and he won't do it. This is one of the reasons he's viciously attacked by the media when he says, liberate Michigan, liberate Minnesota, liberate Virginia. Oh, What are you, what are you, what are you doing there, uh, Mr. President? Are you trying to encourage violence there? What are you doing, you idiots? He's trying to encourage the opening of the economy so we don't completely bankrupt the federal government so that our fellow human beings... <coughs> excuse me, can fend for themselves. So the economy doesn't go to hell, and our hospitals and medical care with it. This is the problem with having economic illiterates in the media and economic totalitarians in the Democrat Party. As if they care about the Constitution. They don't get one whit about the Constitution. They impeached our president, waving around the Constitution, And now they're nationalized businesses, throw protesters in prison, no, churches shouldn't have services, blah, blah, blah. They don't believe in the Constitution. So to answer the question that I posed, the President of the United States has been strongly supportive of federalism, constitutional federalism. But Congress has been strongly supportive of government socialism. And the president needs to stand up and fight against it every bit as much as he's standing up and fighting against the centralization of what are, in many respects, state decisions. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. When you look at the front of the New York Times, there's something that's missing. And you would think the New York Times, which covered up the Holocaust for years, would be attentive to this. President Trump didn't forget. Vice President Pence didn't forget. I didn't see this covered on the front page. Maybe it's in deep within the pages of the New York Times, the Washington Post. USA Today, or the Wall Street Journal. As I say, it might be there, but you're really going to have to search for it. Proclamation on Days of Remembrance of Victims of the Holocaust. Issued on April 17 by the President of the United States. I didn't hear this discussed on MSLSD or CNN. Or anywhere else. President says, Our nation's annual observance of Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, calls on all Americans to pause and reflect on the horrific atrocities committed by the Nazi regime against minority groups and other undesirables, quote-unquote, in the years leading up to and during World War II. Among those murdered in the Holocaust were 6 million Jewish men, women, and children who became victims of the Third Reich's unthinkably evil final solution. As this year's Yom HaShoah commences, let us remember the millions of lives extinguished in the Holocaust, including those of Jewish, Polish, Slavic ancestry, Roma, and Sinti, individuals with mental and physical disabilities, gays, political dissidents, and dozens of other groups, and let us reaffirm our commitment to preserving and carrying forward their stories so that such repugnant acts of evil never occur again. This year's observance is particularly meaningful, as earlier in the year, we observed the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz and other Nazi concentration camps throughout Europe. We must never forget the abhorrent anti-Semitism, racial hatred, and discrimination stoked by the Nazi regime and its accomplices and enablers that sent countless people to ghettos, concentration camps, killing fields, and death camps, a monstrous system that resulted in the murder of two out of three Jews in Europe, and in the imprisonment and torture of millions more. Tragically, far too many Americans of Jewish faith still face persecution. That is why I issued an executive order in December of 2019 to further expand and strengthen my administration's ongoing efforts to combat racist and anti-Semitic discrimination. We must always condemn and confront all forms of racial, religious, and ethnic prejudice, discrimination and hatred, and strengthen the mutual bonds of respect that unite us all as Americans. And during this time, as we mourn the millions of lives tragically lost during this dark stain on human history, we vow to ensure that future generations know the horrors of the Holocaust so that its crimes are never repeated. We also remember the powerful example that countless victims set through the remarkable determination, courage, and devotion. Together, let us resolve to build a society that always vows the sanctity of every human life and the dignity of every faith. In doing so... We will make certain that freedom and liberty always triumph over evil and oppression. Now, therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, do hereby ask the people of the United States to observe the days of remembrance of victims of the Holocaust, April 19th through April 26, 2020, and the solemn anniversary of the liberation of Nazi death camps with appropriate study, prayers, and commemoration, and to honor the memory of the victims of the Holocaust and Nazi persecution by remembering the lessons of this atrocity so that it is never repeated. In witness whereof, I have hereunto set my hand this 17th day of April, in the year of our Lord, 2020, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 244th year. Donald J. Trump. Do you know I'm probably the only person in broadcasting, who even mentions this. And there's the President of the United States, and the Vice President issued a statement as well. Through all that's going on, through all that's going on, issues this statement. I didn't see one from Barack Obama. Maybe Joe Biden released one. I I don't know. I didn't go to his website. But this president releases one. This is a good man. This is a compassionate man. He's a humanitarian. I look at the front page of the Washington Post. There's not a damn thing. I'm looking at the opinion page of the Washington Post. Nothing on the editorial page. I'm looking at the op-ed page on the Washington Post. Not a word. Now that I mentioned it, something will pop up eventually. And I have a question for all the reporters and so-called journalists out there. What is wrong with you? Why do you hate so? Why do you destroy your own profession? Why do you hate this country? Try and push us in, a, in an alien direction. Why do you follow the New York Times? I would ask Jeremy Peters and Maggie Haberman. I would ask all the, the writers, Andrew Higgins, Joe Drape, Ken Belson, Billy Witz, Matthew Rosenberg and Katie Rogers. I ask you, Tracy Tully, O'Brien, uh, M. Rosenthal, Matthew Goldstein, Robert Gebeloff. I ask you, Sabrina Tavernise, Sarah Mervash, Steve Etter, Megan Tui, Apoorva Mandeville, all of you on the front page today with your articles. And not one on a Monday, not one, nothing in the editorial page, nothing in the op-ed page except hate America, hate Trump, hate America, hate Trump, page after page after page after page. I'm sure Chuck Schumer issued a statement, being Jewish and being from New York. If he did, he did it under cover of dark. Same with Nancy Pelosi. Maybe they issued statements. But this is a proclamation from the President of the United States, who has done more, more than any president, certainly in modern American history, to respect the State of Israel, to support the State of Israel, and I might add, to protect Jews on college campuses in this country, and to shine a light on anti-Semitism in this country. Shame on the left, shame on the media. I called him in Hanukkah our first Jewish president. Obviously he's not Jewish. But he is, in many ways, our first Jewish president. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over two million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about.
1: Mark Levin. Liberties. General. Patton. Call into the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. Front of the New York Times. The provocateur
0: who put the words China virus in Trump's mouth by Matthew Rosenberg and Katie Rogers. Young leader, fudging facts, fuels the right. Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, I think they're talking about you.
4: That, you know, I, I, I woke up this morning, Mark, and great to be here. Thank you. It's quite an honor. And I was told I was on the front page of the New York Times, and I said, well, what did I do right to get, gain that honor? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously an interesting time in our country's history, but um, I think that it's, as us conservatives and liberty lovers should consider it a badge of honor uh, when the New York Times dedicates page 1A to someone who loves the Constitution, loves our country, and God willing, is willing to fight for it, and it's kind of a testament to the great work we've been doing at Turning Point USA on college campuses, going after one of the beloved kind of places of turf for the left. And it seems as if they're uh, they're finally starting to realize we're gaining a lot of traction. So uh, it's been an interesting day, to say the least.
0: And not only that, you go to the interior page A7. You're the whole page, except for a you know an advertisement. The entire page. And, boy, they they don't like you. You're mixing facts. You're dishonest. You're lying to people. You're putting words in Donald Trump's mouth. You're quite the Svengali.
4: You know, I I was actually surprised it was as flattering as it was, considering (laughs) it was the New York Times. So, uh, you know, all kidding aside, and I I will say that there's a lot of, you know, nonsense, a lot of things I reject completely, obviously, and categorically in that article. And what was evident, though, is that they were forced to admit— that the student movement we have created at Turning Point USA has defied expectations and is making a serious impact in our country. Um, they said in so many words that Turning Point USA is a serious player on the national scene and is representing a younger audience to conservative values. And they even contrasted you know, the reach of Turning Point USA as being bigger than most media outlets, which I consider to be you know, a tremendous compliment and something that, you know, we take a lot of pride in. Uh, And, Mark, this is something that's really important for your listeners to realize, which is there there are not many of us, and you are one of them, that plays offense against the left. It feels as if we're always waiting for them to set the terms of engagement for us. And, you know, something that I think bothers them is when we dare go where we're not supposed to go. And college campuses are one of those places that they feel as if they're entitled to an ideological or intellectual or philosophical monopoly. And any sort of challenging that status quo obviously results in them uh, being a little bit, um, let's just say, thrown off balance, and they do their best to to, uh, to try to punch back. But in the end, this is only another sign that we're winning.
0: I mean, uh, Charlie Kirk, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find this again. You have two reporters full-time who are obviously going through everything they could find on you except the truth. Uh, my dealings with you, I found you to have absolute integrity, logical consistency, love of liberty, love of your country. They even try to tie you in with white supremacist groups <laughs> and anti-Semites. Now, that's really kind of precious coming from the New York Times, which tried to cover up the Holocaust and hired anti-Semites on its staff, one of whom is still there. And I, and I would add this, talking about you putting words in Donald Trump's mouth. They do that to try and create, you know, a division between you and the president, which is, which is the way they work. Nobody puts words in Donald Trump's mouth.
4: It's well said, Mark. And that, that troubled me when I read it. Just the, the subtext there is somehow that this 26-year-old who we're trying to discredit, who has no idea what he's doing, is actually behind everything that's wrong that you feel in the country. That's kind of the subtext that they're saying, Mark, and that's, that's nonsense. I appreciate the kind words, and I go to great lengths to make sure that everything I believe and everything I say is consistent with thorough research and historical evidence And it it bothered a lot of people when I was one of the first people on Twitter to call it the China virus, of which uh, there is evidence, not just evidence, every major pandemic from Ebola to Lyme is traditionally labeled after the geographic place of origination. Now, Now,
0: Charlie Kirk, you would think the New York Times would understand that since it's a newspaper named after the city in which it's headquartered.
4: And they also share the values of the
0: place. That they yeah, run. exactly.
4: And vice versa. Um, and so I, I don't consider that to be controversial at all. It just so happens, and I'm not taking credit for it, nor would I ever, that there was a coincidence that the president uh, did take that tone since that retweet. Um, I will never say or try to put even make the argument that I put words in the leader of the free world's mouth. And I think you're right that it is trying to sow division. And... I could tell you that I've had the president's back and he's had my back and it's going to it's going to stay that way. Uh, Well, they in
0: in this article, they, of course, viciously attack you. They attack Hannity and they attack the president. Who else here? Uh, They attack Don Trump Jr. They attack and attack and attack. And they say um, uh, mixing, matching, twisting facts. Kirk has come to exemplify a new breed of political agitator that has flourished since the 2016 election. And it goes on and on and on. Did these people talk to you?
4: Uh, they did talk off the record to uh, one of our, our individuals of our team. I made the decision not to comment. Smart. Uh, I believe it was, I was the right decision, Mark, to be honest with you. And it's a
0: setup piece. The entire And what they wanted is a one or two or three-sentence quote or maybe a paragraph to say, oh, well, well he spoke to Charlie Kirk.
4: Right. And and again, I, I'm of the opinion that we are in the age, and you covered this wonderfully on Unfreedom of the Press, which I it really instructed uh, the way I deal with the press a lot, Mark, to be honest, and the way I dealt with this piece, is that you're dealing with activism. Uh, you're not dealing with journalism. There's a huge difference there, where there is a desired outcome at the outset of the process, uh, where you have activists that are in the journalist realm. And, and that's too bad. And so... I think that in a lot of different ways, we as conservatives have to realize that we are actually reaching more people than the traditional daily newspapers and the traditional media outlets and circuits. In a lot of ways, they need our engagement. They need us to interface with them. Um, And so I I believe I made the right decision um, in in that. And also, I I will say that I I found one part to be awfully um, puzzling when they attacked me for spreading disinformation for saying that when Portland releasing criminals will result in rising crime. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, Mark, when you let criminals out of <laughs> prison, they might end up committing crimes. I don't think that is, you know, that far of a logical leap to make.
0: Well, this piece reads like my Wikipedia set up there, <clears throat> which is so full of crap. It's just it's just appalling. So I want these well, two I'll, clown reporters to know they hurt themselves. They didn't hurt you. They look like fools.
4: Well, I'll say one final thing on it, Mark, which is, you know, it, it's not the correct application of this saying, but it's, it could be applied here. Where It's not the total correct, I should say. But beauty is in the eye of the beholder, where I had many conservatives who are wise to this, Mark, where they said, this reads beautifully for you. I I love it. It's wonderful. And really what they're saying is, just the fact they dedicated this much ink to you means that you're on to success for what's best for our country, and so I think that's a positive sign mark of how a lot of conservatives have reacted to this. Um, it's been very instructive for me that um, they they consider you know any conservative that is under that kind of scrutiny by the mainstream press as someone who's succeeding you know in the culture war and for the betterment of our country.
0: Well, I would personally recommend you use it for fundraising purposes, and you can thank the New York Slimes for for helping you out and these two clown so-called reporters. And uh, I I just know people who see you on Fox, who listen to you on this show, who read what you write, uh, what you're doing on the college campuses, that what's been written here is actually the opposite of who you are. But that's the way it works. And the New York Times is a disreputable, disreputable publication. That's why they were going broke until some billionaire from Mexico helped bail them out. Charlie Kirk, I want to thank you. Keep up the good work, my friend.
4: God bless you, Mark. Honored to be here. Thank you so much.
0: You too. Be well. Look how they trash this young man. He's 26 years old. Look what he's built. Look what he's done. These reporters have done nothing. Nothing. Look how they attack him. They could only wish one day that they have a child as, as sharp as this guy as an accomplished as this guy. But just remember, they hate Trump. They hate Trump Jr. They hate Charlie Kirk. They hate me. They hate talk radio. They hate Fox. It goes on and on and on their list of hate. They spent more print attacking, think about this, Charlie Kirk today, than they spent in three or four years during the course of the Holocaust. And they did this starting on the front page. And it's bad enough that they covered up the Holocaust. They were the literal mouthpiece in America for Stalin through Walter Durante during 1932 when he was starving the Ukrainians. And they have hired anti-Semites, people who've said the most horrific things online. One they removed, one they kept on this Holocaust Remembrance Day. It is such a sleazy operation, the New York Times. You know, when it was originally bought, he tried, they tried to, the family tried to really make it a profession and a professional newspaper, but it's come full circle. It is really just an anti-American, hard-left activist newspaper that hires the worst of the reprobates, starting with their 1619 project, and now their Destroy Trump project. They're almost siding with the coronavirus against the president when you read this stuff. It's unbelievable every day. I don't normally buy these newspapers. And there's one other point I should make. There's not a dime's worth of difference between the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. And there's not a dime's worth of difference between those two newspapers and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and The Democrat Agenda. I'll be right back.
1: Mark Levin.
0: If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, absolutely free of charge, perfect for this time. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can too with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope, founded on high principles. I think everyone who writes for The New York Times ought to check this out. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. That's Levin for hillsteel.com, L E V I N for com. Levin for Hillsdale.com, All com alright Couple things. The Supreme Court just ruled that uh, in criminal cases, uh you need a a uh, unanimous jury to convict. It is an outrageous decision. There's nothing in the constitution that requires that. They threw out uh, a precedent that's almost half a century old it's really appalling to me and the and the, the, the person who wrote it uh, should know better he should know better uh, I'm trying to remember his name <laughs> i say it Mr. Producer you can look that up he's one of the new justices uh, and also just because I'm rushing around here when it comes to Israel may I say this those of us who are interested Um, Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, his opposition, Gantz, they inked a coalition pact today. Uh, There will be a government in Israel. The Prime Minister for at least 18 months or 18 months will be Netanyahu. After that, it will be picked up by Gantz. Uh, And most of the newspapers keep saying, what? Netanyahu was indicted. Netanyahu was indicted. Netanyahu was indicted. Yeah, he was. And that was outrageous, quite frankly. An outrageous act all right, let me swing back to here. My guy's Gorsuch. That's right, Neil Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch is weak on crime, ladies and gentlemen. I hate to tell you this. And my, my intuition is because of his mother. His mother was a wonderful lady. She had headed the Environmental Protection Agency for a period of time under um, uh, President Reagan. And um, so this is what we got. And uh, I strongly disagree with this. The jury verdicts in state criminal cases, they must be unanimous. And it's interesting uh, who voted which way. The Chief Justice voted against this. Uh, Elena Kagan voted against this. And the, the the dissent was written by Sam Alito, who's brilliant. So it was six to three vote. And... Um, It's not just an endorsement of stare decisis. It's a bigger issue than that. There's nothing in the Constitution that requires this. And there's no evidence that it would create injustice, that you have to have a majority vote. So uh, the reason you had so many opinions in this, you had five separate opinions, is because when you're going to defy the Constitution and on top of that reject your own precedent, in this case precedent that was perfectly fine, you really need to write five opinions to explain yourself, because it's inexplicable, really. It's inexplicable. And Brett Kavanaugh makes me very, very nervous. I've told you folks this before, but for Gorsuch to write it, I'm not surprised anymore. He's weak on crime. That's my opinion. Brett Kavanaugh throws in Sonia Sotomayor, of course, Stephen Breyer, uh, Clarence Thomas, I wrote a concurrence uh on a different issue related to it so he wasn't a full endorsement of the decision at all usually when Clarence Com- Thomas goes I follow but this is uh very troubling to me I these things are happening now kind of under cover of uh the coronavirus and they're problematic okay let me see let's get a caller Mr. Baduc do you, do you have a caller there that you can uh, refer me to quickly because I can't find the email right now. who what's his name Nick in New Orleans on the Mark Levin app you have one minute sir go
4: yeah hey Mark uh, so I have a great way to look and see if this uh, if this lockdown, Uh, Has any effect? We can't directly look at what coronavirus is doing because there's no old data. But we can look at the flu and uh, what it's doing to the flu because it's it's uh, contained the same way. The flu is a cold virus. And last year, in the last five years, the number of deaths per week have not changed since we've gone on lockdown. There's there's the same.
0: I've got to go. I'm not sure what the correlation is, if any. Be perfectly honest with you. In any event, ladies and gentlemen, we salute all you heroes out there. Thank you. I do believe in the First Amendment, not just for the press, but for all of you who want to speak out. God bless you all, and I'll see you tomorrow.
4: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.